1: Thank you so much for your patience over the last couple of weeks. I know two weeks ago we didn't have an episode. Last week we had the pleasure of having Michelle Cambolis take over. We've never had a takeover show. I don't know. I think maybe I should do it every once in a while. I have just needed a second to let my mental health recalibrate, <laughs> to be honest. I am not going to share too much right now, but yeah, I just needed to push pause and I'm always. Talking about how important it is to take rest when we need it, to give ourselves space for recovery, to take it slow, to say no, and that it's okay sometimes if we let people down when it comes to our health and wellness. So that was me practicing what I preach, and we're gonna just do our best here over the next few weeks as everything in my brain continues to stabilize. I've just had really severe anxiety panic attacks coming back and if you've been listening to the show for a long time you know this is something i struggle with on and off and i think it's important to note that any type of healing whether we're healing an eating disorder or acne or stomach issues or anxiety it's not a linear process and there are going to be highs and there are going to be lows it can feel extremely frustrating and like you haven't made any progress in moments, but it's kind of like building a sandcastle. And, you know, even if that sandcastle gets knocked down by a big wave, and all of a sudden it feels like everything that you've worked on has been smashed to pieces and just dissolved into nothing you still have learned so much from building that sandcastle the first time. And so rebuilding and getting it back to the place that it was, or maybe some different version of it, it's going to be easier, it's going to happen faster, and you will get back there. That's the important thing to remember. So I am very excited for today's guest. She's right on theme with everything that you know, I've been diving into personally and talking about on the show. We're going to discuss a little bit about anxiety. We're going to talk about sobriety and especially what it looks like to give up alcohol when you don't necessarily classify yourself as an alcoholic. So wherever you're at right now, I would just really encourage you to meet yourself with so much self-compassion and grace if you're having, you know, a really good moment in life, if you're in a good season, celebrate it, let yourself sink into that, share it with others, really be there. And if it's feeling like a bit more of a struggle, even a hard day or a hard week or a hard few months, that is actually part of life too. And there's so much learning and growth that happens in those moments. If we can try to find some sense of acceptance for what is as we move through, it can also help relieve some of the suffering just in and of itself, not wanting to be somewhere other than where we are. That doesn't mean that we're not working towards feeling better, but it just means that we can also breathe deeply knowing that this too shall pass. So without further ado, I'd love to invite today's guest to join the show. Mm -hmm. Hi, Raw Beauties. I am so pumped for this conversation today because a lot of you have been asking for more information on this topic. Like people are dying to know one specific thing about this area that we're going to be diving into today. So we'll make sure that we touch on that point. I have Suzanne where I, from my kind of sweet joining us today, she's a mama of three who first caught my eye over on her Instagram page with her incredible reels that she was doing about life sober, about her decision to stop drinking. And she combines that with, you know, a lot of like cute outfits and home decor and things like that. But I just totally resonated with your message, Suzanne. And I'm so thrilled to have you here today. I am also over a year sober now and for many of the same reasons that you talk about over on your feed. And so I shared a little bit about my journey hitting that one year mark in January and it was one of our most listened to episodes. And that's not what I talk about on Raw Beauty Talk. So I was so fascinated that so many people were really interested in this conversation. And that's when I knew I had to have you on the show.
0: Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm so happy to be here. I'm so glad we finally made this happen. We're like two busy mamas, but I'm so glad I can talk about sobriety and all things being sober, which is like such a refreshing thing to be able to talk about.
1: Tell me a little bit about your background and who you are before we dive into sobriety and living life without alcohol.
0: Yeah. So I am, it's so funny. I try not to say like I'm a mom right away, but that's always what pops into my head. Like I am a mom. I'm a mom of three kids. I am a wife. I worked in fashion. And so after I had my first daughter, I had postpartum anxiety And I needed to feel like myself again. So I started my kind of suite as just a place to find myself again and remember who I was before I became a mom. And that was just me sharing outfits and just really sharing about motherhood. And I was just trying to navigate through all of it. And it was so hard and confusing. And I hated parts of it and loved parts of it. And I was just searching for an outlet and then when I really started sharing about postpartum anxiety is when I started to get an audience. And so it led me to become vulnerable
1: on social media, which is a scary thing. You do an incredible job of it and I actually didn't know most likely because you know we tend to talk about the part of our story that we're currently in on social media, I didn't know that you had postpartum anxiety, which I also really struggled with after my second. And it was hell and still something to this day that I really have to work with is my anxiety. And sometimes it's like I'm completely fine for months and months and months, and then it resurfaces as I'm going through right now. So you had baby number one, postpartum anxiety, You got through that at some level because you decided to have baby number two and three. I was for sure that
0: it was one and done because there was no way I was going to go through that again. It was literal hell. It was also postpartum OCD. So I had Uh, intrusive thoughts and just, I thought I was crazy. I wasn't. And it was actually a common thing that nobody talks about. And once I realized that and went to therapy and also got on anti anxiety meds, I was able to then level out a bit enough to actually enjoy baby number two and baby number three, who is my favorite, but don't tell anybody. (laughs) I could see the light in motherhood that I was never able to see when my oldest was a baby.
1: Oh, I'm so glad you mentioned the intrusive thoughts, because that's also something that I struggled with and it caused panic attacks and was completely debilitating, terrifying. I mean, many times thinking I was going to die and it's just so important for anybody who's listening right now, who's experienced that, or, you know, who's pregnant or going through these things. I don't think it's talked about enough. Suzanne and I are both examples of people who have lived through it and, have come out the other side and there's so much waiting for you and it's not going to be like that forever. I also went on anti-anxiety medication and I'm still on it and it keeps me steady. And I mean, so grateful for that as a a treatment option.
0: Yeah. I shared a post because I was on Zoloft even through two pregnancies and through breastfeeding. And I was terrified to be on any sort of medication when I was pregnant. I mean, I would never take Tylenol because I didn't want to. And so this idea that I was going to be on anti-anxiety meds while I was pregnant and nursing, I mean, it kept me up Googling in the middle of the night. And so I shared a post on my blog all about it. And that's still probably my top post. So it just goes to show like there are women all over the world who are Going through the same thing and like no one knows. And so I always like to scream from the rooftops and of course, talk to your doctor. I'm not a doctor. But one thing my doctor said to me was like, the baby needs the mom to be okay. And so like anytime moms reach out to me, if they're pregnant and they're scared about getting on some sort of anxiety medication to first, I tell them to talk to their doctor. But then also if you are not okay, that's the first thing in motherhood like in pregnancy and breastfeeding and just in motherhood you need to be
1: okay it's so true and I actually for the last episode that we recorded which was on anxiety reached out to a couple of my friends who I know are on medication quickly who I don't know if you follow Casey Goody but she is this incredible creative and she also went on anti-anxiety medication during her pregnancy and was very open about how afraid she was to be on it and then like some of the shaming that a Occurred after she had her baby and there were a couple things that happened and immediately it was like because she had taken it and it's just that's just not the case Um, and then Bailey Stanworth and Caitlin Bristow as well talking about how these medications have completely allowed her to remain stable and to be able to show up and share her light and so I really want to make it clear I'm not like pushing drugs on people but there's so much shame around taking it and you feel like weak and like, oh, I'm just not meditating enough and exercising enough. And maybe if I just drank some more green juice or could switch my thoughts to more positive thinking that it would all be better. And for some of us, our neurochemical imbalances just won't allow for that. And it's okay to get some support.
0: Yeah. And it's just to normalize it. The more we talk about it, the more normal it seems. And now, I mean, to me, it seems completely normal to be on anti-anxiety, but I can put myself in my shoes. Six years ago, I was terrified.
1: Fast forward to the end of 2024. Think of your goals for a second. What can you do right now to give yourself the best chance of succeeding? If you want to learn a new language, you absolutely should get Babbel. over. Okay, this is an interesting segue into your decision to stop drinking. Tell me about why you decided to stop drinking and what that process looked like for you.
0: Yeah, so it's funny because this is probably the question I get most often and I call it, and I think I got it from this naked mind, Annie Grace. It's called spontaneous sobriety. And so mm-hmm. I wasn't thinking about getting sober. I wasn't kind of planning on it. I wasn't struggling with sobriety. I wasn't, you know, falling off the wagon or anything like that. I have had a troubled relationship with alcohol in my twenties. I was the party girl. I loved to be the party girl. I mean, it was fun and it served its purpose when it did. Going into my 30s and now I'm 41, I realized that alcohol made me a lot of promises and never kept them. And Mm -hmm. not only did it never keep them, but it made me not keep my promises to myself. And I think that's probably the worst feeling I could have is not being able to count on myself.
1: Tell me a little bit about what that looks like. What do you mean when you say that you weren't able to keep promises to yourself? As soon as I had kids, I knew that drinking had to change. It could no longer be I was going out to clubs. I
0: haven't been to a nightclub in like 15 years. So it would change, but it still had the effect that it let down my guard And when I say let down my guard, I don't mean in a good way. I mean, it caused me to act in a way that I wouldn't act if I wasn't drinking. That just wasn't true to my character and who I was. I would say things that I normally wouldn't say. I would share things that I normally wouldn't share in an effort to connect or to make new friends. You know, you wanted like connect to new mom friends and fast forward the friendship and belong to the mom group. And so I think I kind of thought that that was the way to do it. I would always end up waking up, even if it was like two glasses of wine, three glasses of wine, I would end up waking up not feeling, I would feel shame, which is a familiar feeling for me. I would wake up feeling like, God, why did I say that? Like I would never, that's not who I am. And so that kind of disconnect of who I am and then who I am after like two glasses of wine, three glasses of wine, a bottle of wine, I got really, really worn out of that. And then when I decided I was done, it was after my last hangover, which was brutal. And I just told my husband, I'm done. And as the words were coming out of my mouth, I thought, holy shit, what does that even mean?
1: Like, did you know, like, I'm done for a
0: month or I'm done forever? I didn't want to qualify because I had done that before. I had qualified it before. And then that would dissolve when my hangover did. Right. Mm. Then I would be like, well, I mean, it's fine. I'll have a glass of wine. But I was like, what if there's more than this? Like, I don't want to feel like this anymore. And so... I'm done. And it was just like an inner knowing that I can't even really place. And I think he didn't believe me. He kind of looked at me like, okay. And in my head, I'm thinking, oh my God, I'm, I am done. But then it was all, it was terrifying. It was a spiral of what does that even mean? Well, What now? I, I had no answers. Literally the only answer I had was, do I want to feel like this ever again?
1: And that answer was crystal clear. It was a no. And you talk frequently about the fact that you were not somebody who was drinking every day. You weren't somebody who was craving alcohol in the morning. You could go for a couple weeks without having a drink. You do not identify with the word alcoholic in some ways, like it was a scary transition, but it wasn't like you had a physical dependency on alcohol So the struggle becomes, this is just the norm in our society. This is what we do with our girlfriends. This is how we celebrate. This is what we do at the end of a long day. This is our go-to coping mechanism when stress is high or anxiety is high. And now, all of a sudden, you're left with this blank slate. Like, (laughs) where do I fill the gap? I don't even know if I was
0: there yet because I really thought, does this mean I'm an alcoholic? I was like... Oh my God, I have to go to meetings because that was the only thing I knew of being sober. I didn't know that I could choose to be sober without declaring myself completely powerless to alcohol, having no control, forever being tied to it, always wanting it. I thought that me deciding not to drink meant that I would want to drink for the rest of my life. I didn't want that because I didn't want to drink always... Now, you know, I didn't always want to drink. And so if I declared alcohol off limits, does that mean like I'm forever going to be like drawn to it and tied to it and wanting it? I was freaking out. And so what I do when I freak out, I put my AirPods in and I clean. And so I was like, well, I have to learn some stuff because I hadn't known anything about sobriety. So I was like, let me just listen to any podcast or audiobooks I could find literally, I started that afternoon. I like peeled myself off the couch. And I was like, I have to clean up this mess. And I have to figure this out. And so then I did. And that was a journey. And that was January 2020. Did you start
1: to discover other individuals who had had a similar experience to you where they were just like, I don't know if this is serving my life anymore. It's not this huge, massive problem. But like, I'm a type A person or I want big things or I just want to feel good in my body. And this isn't lining up anymore.
0: Yeah. The one that changed me that I found very early on was this naked mind and it's an audiobook by Annie Grace. And she goes into how we have been brainwashed as a society by big alcohol. And we've been sort of just taught that alcohol is fun and alcohol helps us relax. So she goes point by point, and unbrainwashes you and it's repetitive. But that's what you need after all these like decades of seeing commercials where girls are having fun drinking. I needed that I needed to totally change my perspective on alcohol. And that's for sure where it started is with that book. I mean, I listened to it as I was playing with my kids. I had one AirPod in. I I listened to it like it was my job. I am going to find out what alcohol really is and what it has done to me. And once I opened the box, it was terrifying. When you look in those dark corners that you've not wanted to look in, it became very clear to me that alcohol did not make anything better.
1: I think what trips us up is that especially if you're someone who has anxiety or social anxiety or you're stressed, is that there's this immediate feeling of relaxation, a sense of calm, for some people, a sense of confidence and an ability to speak up. And in the short term, it serves us. And as human beings, we know these two P's that drive us, pleasure and pain. So we are always, looking for what's going to be most pleasurable in the next moment. It's part of our survival mechanism. And so alcohol provides that immediate solution that we need. But if we're able to sort of disconnect from our subconscious brain leading the show and picking the path that we're on, and we can look into the long term, most people experience after drinking feelings of why did I say that? Why did I do that? Or just, I feel like crap right now. I can't, I don't feel like I can do my workout and all I want is like fries and a burger right now to eat. And I have just lost half the day because I can barely move off the couch. I, or I spent like so much money last night that I didn't have to spend on alcohol. And so the long-term impact isn't necessarily leading us where we want to go in life, but the short-term fix that we get that spontaneous uh, amount of pleasure is what has us coming back again and again and again. And it's
0: interesting because I think it's in this naked mind where she talks about kind of what happens to your brain as you're drinking alcohol and that short-term pleasure is 20 minutes long. So You know, it's the first 20 minutes of alcohol where you get a lot of dopamine and the stuff it does to your brain that makes you feel warm and fuzzy and nice. From then on, your body's always trying to reach homeostasis. And so it's trying to get you back. Somehow, I mean, I don't have the scientific things, but she does in that book. The whole night, you're trying to reach that first 20 minutes. You're like, well, I know it was there in that first 20 minutes. Like I felt it. So let me have more. And it doesn't work.
1: Also remember a post you did that was like this aha moment that you had when you realized that alcohol is primarily made of ethanol which is used in car engines and that for me was you know as somebody who's mindful about what I'm putting in my body and all of you know who listened to this episode I still eat donuts and chips and like all of that stuff and have a very balanced intuitive way of eating but I'm also like getting greens in my body and I would never take a bottle of ethanol and put that into my body, especially as someone who struggles with anxiety and these neurochemical imbalances, like that just doesn't make any sense. And so, but yet we package it up in these beautiful bottles and market it as like, we're all having so much fun and popping bottles of champagne down at some pool in Palm Springs. This is like the idea that we're sold. And yet The reality is that many of us are like more anxious, more depressed, more broke, less glow, less vibrancy, less connected to our authentic self, and sometimes not even being able to remember the evening that we had with the people that we love. Yeah. And that's by
0: design too. You know, the pretty wine bottles and the mommy wine culture is not, that's, that's not an accident we're being marketed to because big alcohols, like first target audience is dying off. Men are dying of liver disease and like they needed to expand their market. And so like, obviously moms at home grocery shop, they make the, you know, the grocery list. They're the ones who can buy the wine. And like, that's not an accident that moms are now being targeted. Also moms
1: are fucking stressed in 2022. Moms have So many roles to play just stretch to the limit and this idea of pour yourself a glass of wine at the end of the day and just take the edge off. It's a vulnerable market and almost all of my friends drink and I'm always the first to say like I really want people to feel that they can do what they do and this isn't a judgment against people who drink like we're all being marketed to and this is something that i did for years and years and i still personally don't know if i can't say that i'll never drink again that's not where i'm at but i know for right now with my health and wellness and my goals that it just doesn't fit in at all and the longer i've been without it just I don't even really think about it anymore. Like there's so many alternatives and I almost feel more anxious thinking about going back to drinking because I'm like, oh, I've gained so much by not drinking that it feels hard to kind of even imagine that.
0: Yeah. And I get it that that might be in some people like, you know, you think, okay, well, let me try it again. And that might be just a part of it. It's not this whole thing of like you forever tied to it. You fall off the wagon, then you've got to crawl your way back. I mean, for some people who are physically dependent or addicted, like that's a different story, but this is a whole other situation. And for moms, and I get some heat about this on social media about judging moms who drink. And I always want to be careful because... I don't judge moms who drink. I was a mom who drank. I don't judge moms who drink at all. Like I judge the big alcohol who targets moms and tricks them into drinking. I think moms now more than ever need support, need a way to relax, to disconnect, to connect, to belong. And my message is just saying like, this is a trick. They've been tricking us. What you think is helping you relax is doing the opposite. And so just giving other solutions and other ways to connect and belong.
1: What have you noticed the most since you stopped drinking? You're almost two years sober now. How
0: has your life changed? It's so funny because they're talking about the anxiety. I actually just realized this maybe like three weeks ago. I don't have much anxiety anymore. And I'm actually coming I'm starting to come off of my meds slowly. That is probably the number one. And I think it's probably taken this long just for me to realize like, wait, I don't have this overwhelming sense of dread kind of hanging over me. That could be because I sleep way better. I just don't have that like racing heart morning after thing that alcohol always gave me. So I'd say less anxiety. And then also really just being able to trust myself. That has been, I think, the greatest gift that I could give to myself. You know, I think about me as a little girl a lot. I grew up with a dad who drank too much and then decided to stop. And so part of why I did this was for her to take care of her and to comfort her and to be able to trust That I will always be there for myself,
1: no matter what. Like that, that's really big. That's huge. You had a big year. I don't know if it was last year or the year before, but you lost two very special people in your life. And you navigated that completely sober, without alcohol. And I lost my grandma last week. Anytime we lose somebody that we love, it's obviously devastating and so sad she had lived a wonderful life she was 97 she'd met great grandchildren she passed in her bed surrounded by all of us and so you know there's so much peace in that but it was also really challenging and of course old Erin would have been like okay home from holding grandma's hand all day in her bed to let's have a glass of wine and watch some Netflix and just chill again, like no, no judgment around that. But this time I really had to sit in the feelings, which is painful and hard sometimes. But I think that there's also like this expansion that happens and I almost imagine sometimes it's like when we're able to sit with some of those feelings and that heartache that it also breaks open our heart and allows us to also feel more love and joy and happiness and connection to the cycle of life that we're in right now. Tell me a little bit about your experience and what you went through. Yeah.
0: So I lost my dad suddenly March of 2021. So I had Gosh. just been one year sober and he was my rock. I was a daddy's girl and it was a very, very, very traumatic loss for me and how it happened. And I was sober. And actually, for his celebration of life, my best friend who we've been best friends since we're one year old. So my whole life, she knows me better than anybody. She actually also quit drinking just a month before I did. And she met me at his celebration of life. And she held me and she said, "You know, I was thinking driving here. If there's ever a time that she's going to drink that I'm going to drink, it's now. And she said, and that would be okay. Everyone would understand. And I was crying and I just said, no, it, it wasn't even a choice for me. Because if I had turned to alcohol, I knew that that would numb the pain. But I also knew it would numb the joy and the love that I felt for him. And that I feel for him. And I don't want to numb that. So like, it's been awful, and heart-wrenching, and I have cried more tears than I ever thought possible, but then I've gotten up. Like, then I get back up on my feet, and then I feel it. I feel it all, and therapy has helped a lot. It's been hard, but I'm so grateful that I'm sober going through it.
1: I'm so sorry that, I mean, losing somebody that you love and that you care about is the hardest thing and something that you carry with you forever and i can only imagine how proud your dad is of you and the fact that you yourself got sober a month before he passed i mean i just feel like that's a some sort of universal gift that was passed from him to you and that he got to see you heading down that path is really incredible
0: yeah i was just over a year sober when he passed away. And I'm always so grateful that he got to see that. I know he was proud of me. And so that definitely has helped.
1: What would you say are some of the tools that you use on those days where the stress is higher or there's big feelings, whatever those big feelings are, anger, sadness that you turn to now instead of alcohol. And what does it look like when you go out for like a girl's dinner or a nice meal with your husband where normally you would have had like a bottle of red? What, what does that look like now for you?
0: So I would say the biggest thing in my toolbox is exercise. I mean, especially for anxiety or if I'm just feeling uneasy, if I'm feeling angry or stressed, yeah, Like I get on my treadmill, I do my Peloton workouts or run outside. Running is always big for me and yoga. Yoga has helped me learn how to sit in discomfort. Like that's what it is. And so like, that's what I do. That's what sobriety is, is like just sitting in the discomfort. It passes and then it's even better than ever. So if I'm stressed or pissed or just like over it and I think, oh my God, life is shit. Then I think... I got to run. This energy needs to go somewhere. I would say sleep is probably next in my toolbox. I don't know if it's since becoming a mom or what, but sleep to me is like gold, like a nap to me. Oh my God. It's like the best thing in the world. I will literally be like, I hate everything in my life. And then I take a one hour nap and I'm like, my life is amazing. It changes <laughs> know. everything for me. And then like when I go out, with my husband or with my girls, like I love chocolate. I'm just like, I've been trying to give up chocolate for literally 20 years. (laughs) And now I've just like decided I'm not going to give up chocolate. Like I'm not going to do it. Gives you pleasure. We're allowed to have that. Yeah. I'll just go face first in like a bar of chocolate (laughs) because like, yeah, that's what I want. I don't even do like mocktails or
1: anything like that. I just don't like really sweet drinks, but give me like just chocolate and I'm good. Okay, that's like the number one question that people ask around this topic is, what are your recommendations for drinks other than alcohol? So it doesn't sound like you're big into the sweet mocktails. Are there any other go-tos? I do kombucha in a wine glass, just for the ritual of
0: having a wine glass and like at night. So I pour kombucha, I do it for like Thanksgiving, anytime like everyone's drinking. If you're newly sober, you just have to sit in that, like, first five minutes of, like, the decision. The decision has been made, okay? So you're going to have kombucha. You're not going to question it. You're not going to think about it again. You're going to be uncomfortable for about five minutes while everyone's pouring their wine and you have kombucha. But then once you see the night unfold and you are still feeling exactly how you felt when you came through that door, like fresh and fun, and then you see everyone else kind of slipping down and like getting louder, (laughs) then you're just going to be like, okay, I see what this is about. And then so you just have to do it that like first couple of times. Sit with that first five minutes of being like, yep, this is uncomfortable. And now I'm questioning everything. Don't question it and just
1: go for it, sit in that, and then you'll see. And then the next morning, you'll be golden. The next morning, or even if it's like one of those times where you get home sort of early and you're like, I could still spend two hours doing things and like being productive, like living my life or whatever it is. And I don't know about you, but I actually enjoy sex more sober, which is something that a lot of people say, I don't know if I could enjoy it. And I would just encourage people to try because I feel like it's so much better when I'm sober. Alcohol numbs your senses. All
0: of them. It numbs taste, hearing, seeing, smelling, and touch. It numbs everything. And so like, I feel like drunk
1: sex just, you need to feel it all. And when you're sober, you feel it all. It's so much better. (laughs) Again, all of this kind of challenges us to get through these initial hurdles or difficult moments, but that is also you building up your strength and understanding how resilient and strong you are and that you're not somebody who has to be pressured or that has to take, you know, the quick, easy fix. And it is something I feel like that has made me feel more self-confident in a lot of ways because I'm not ever going with the crowd and that takes a lot of strength. I've also noticed that some of my friends, I never push this on them, like it has always been about me doing what's right for my body and they understand and know my history with anxiety, but. Some of them have said, you know, just seeing what you're doing, like, I'm not really drinking during the week right now. And I'll have a couple glasses of wine here or there, but like, I'm not, they're not necessarily quitting it by any means, but they're just noticing, oh, maybe there is a different way of doing this as well. And that's kind of cool too.
0: Yeah. Just to get the conversation started and just to like put another face to sobriety. For me, sobriety is light. It's freedom. It's just... It's the opposite of everything I thought sobriety was when I was drinking. I thought it was right. like a cage and dark church basements. I didn't realize it was something so that you could celebrate it so much. I always said get through the firsts. Chances are you have always gone to parties and drank, you know, you've always had a glass of wine or two at a dinner party. So like maybe just get curious, like, what is it like? What if I give my brain a chance to see what it's like without that? So once you get through those first, now you have that experience. It's kind of like moving a popcorn. Like every time you go to a movie, you want a popcorn. And so then you don't even think about it. It's just moving a popcorn. Well, what if you divorce the two and just
1: give yourself a chance to see what it's like without it? Yep. Yeah. So the firsts that I'm thinking of that I went through would be the first dinner out with friends, the first stressful day of work where I didn't open a bottle of wine, the first vacation for sure, especially when we went with another couple who do drink. And I very much am like, please drink. But what I noticed wasn't like, oh, this is gonna feel hard for me because they're drinking. It was, I feel bad because are we bringing them down by not drinking? Like, are we maybe not as fun? I was really lucky because my husband decided to do it with me. And so it was really nice to have that support system. But those kinds of thoughts trickled in of like, Oh, are we bringing this down? Are we not as fun anymore? La 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 la. And then you realize nobody really cares as long as you are letting them do what they want to do. And I am always somebody who I love drinking out of wine glasses. So like most nights at dinner, I have bubbly water in a wine glass with a lime. And it's really about the ritual of having something special and just different. I feel like I have about five special cups in my life that I use for different things. Like I've got my green juice in here. I've got my coffee mug here. I've got my sparkling wine glass. So getting through that was actually really paramount for me in my whole life. I realized, oh, I've got this voice. That's always worried about how I'm impacting the way that other people feel like oh i should drink to make them feel better oh i should say this to make them feel better and so it was an opportunity to reflect like in what ways am i sabotaging my own health and well-being just to make other people comfortable with what I'm doing. I'm 37. I don't want to do that anymore. Exactly. And the idea that alcohol makes like me more fun. I mean, I have
0: a whole lifetime of experiences to tell you that's not true. <laughs> and I I think that with my girlfriends, my husband doesn't drink much. He'll like have a beer on the golf course. But once they kind of saw, oh wait, Suze
1: is still Suze. Like she's She's still fun. My friends tell me often that sometimes with the stuff that they say, I don't want to call myself a ditz, but I'll just say things. And they're like, (laughs) they they often say when they're drinking that they wonder if I'm drunk as well. But I'm not. It's just I'm like so happy and free and not in my head. Because alcohol, after that 20-minute hit, also got me in my head a little bit of, should I be saying this? Should I not? Did I speak up too much? I don't know. It was causing all of this worry that was moving me out of the moment. And that's the thing
0: I always say, like when I stopped drinking and just took alcohol out of the equation, that's why I always say like, don't question it. That frees up so much brain power because I didn't realize how much of my brain was at a party going, should I have another one? Is she having another one? Wait, should I? No, I'm, are they thinking I'm drinking too much? No, I am drinking. Am
1: I drinking too much? Always. Am I having a glass of wine tonight? No, that will make me feel bad tomorrow, but I want one right now. So should I? Oh, no, I shouldn't have. Oh, now my anxiety's higher the next day. So tonight, maybe I'll have a glass of wine to just pull that down. Yeah. Once I was like, no enough with the noise. I can't tell you like how much more
0: productive I've been.
1: I just don't even think about it. I'm right there with you. Okay. A couple more questions here that I want to dive into. What would you say are the most common misconceptions about people who don't drink?
0: That we're alcoholics and that we hit rock bottom
1: mm-hmm. and
0: that we're not fun. <laughs> That's like, oh, you're not drinking tonight. Oh, it's like, no, dude, I'm still a whole lot of fun. But I think the alcoholic thing is kind of just assumed. It's like, oh, sorry, you can't drink. Sorry, you had to make that decision.
1: You know. I remember hearing uh, about a neighbor when I was drinking, and he was like, oh yeah, we don't drink. And I was like, oh. I wonder what happened like there must have been like a big thing or he, you know he must have had a problem what was interesting is when I went and hosted an event in LA and we did it in Malibu and it was a kind of crowd of creatives and performers and business women in the Los Angeles area and I come down from Vancouver from BC and I'm like so nervous to be hosting this dinner was like I'm absolutely going to be drinking the whole time nobody else at the table was really drinking and I was like what is going on this is so weird and one of my friends who lives there is like yeah in LA like people don't really drink because it's not healthy and I was like what like everyone drinks this is just what we do that was my first touch of maybe seeing that there's people who just make the choice because it's not actually that good for us. I don't know in that crowd, probably thinking about like weight and all this stuff, but perhaps beyond that's not what it's about for me at all. And now though, I feel this swell of people who are making this choice. There's a hashtag sober curious. That seems to be just about people who have not hit rock bottom. They haven't had any like major addiction issues with it, but they're just questioning what role alcohol has in their life a bit more. Are you noticing that on your end? For sure. And I think the more people talk about it,
0: share it on social media, the more it frees up the courage for other people to come forward and be like, Hey, wait, yeah, that's me too. But I didn't want to say it because I didn't want to be judged. It's interesting because I get either, well, obviously you're an alcoholic and you don't know it. So you're not working the program. So good luck. And then I get, I mean, it was easy for you then if you didn't drink a lot, then you could just stop drinking. Right. And it's like, no, I was like in the gray. I was in the gray where I have blacked out many times, but I've also been able to drink one glass of wine and go months without thinking about a drink. And so like there is an in between and you can, you can still choose not to
1: drink. I think most people live in that in between. So two last questions for you. If I was to send you to a deserted Island and you could bring three items of self-care that we're going to help hold you afloat on this deserted island, what would you be packing in your bag? Chocolate. <laughs> What's your favorite kind of chocolate? Like, which chocolate would you be bringing? Oh, my God. That's like choosing a favorite kid.
0: I would say, oh, my God. Probably, I mean, I love a Three Musketeers. Okay, so we've got chocolate. I would say my yoga mat because of the sand. Probably my favorite book. Your favorite book being This Naked Mind or something else? There's so many of them. I would say We Are the Luckiest by Laura McCowan has been such a touchstone for me in sobriety. This Naked Mind is good about like unbrainwashing us, but Laura McCowan kind of adds so much heart to sobriety and there's like
1: such a soul. Like, yeah, I would bring that. Ordering that book tonight. We'll link to all of these for sure down below in addition to Suzanne's Instagram page and her beautiful blog that touches on all the things that you love, some really important conversation pieces, and it's very thoughtfully done. So definitely head on over to check that out. If you were able to send an email that was going to land in the inbox of every woman in the world and it was your final message, the last thing that your kiddos would see that people would receive from you, what would you say? Oh my
0: God. That's what I would say.
1: Oh my God. (laughs) Shit. I wasn't done yet. (laughs) Yeah.
0: So if I'm sending an email to all the women in the world, I would say you are stronger
1: than you realize. Period. Perfect. I absolutely love it. Thank you so much for sharing a piece of your story and a really important piece that I think will just unlock a lot of thoughts and questions. And that's what this podcast is all about. It's not about saying this way is right or this way is wrong, but it's about understanding what's going to work best for each of our own individual bodies and being brave enough and having the courage to lean into that and knowing you know life is so beautiful and so sweet and also really hard in moments but you're never alone in in those challenging moments whether it's postpartum anxiety or OCD or sobriety or raising kiddos or Figuring out your purpose in life—I mean, we've all gone through these things—and there's so much waiting for you on the other side. So, Suzanne, where can everybody find you, connect with you, and follow up?
0: So, on Instagram, it's my kind of sweet. On TikTok, my kind of sweet, and um, mykindofsweet.com.
1: Thank you so much.
0: Was amazing. Thank you.
1: Thanks for taking the time to listen to this week's episode. Please take a moment to rate, review, or follow on your favorite podcast app. And share this episode with someone that you think could benefit. Join the Raw Beauty Talks community at Raw Beauty Talks. And remember, it's your story, your body, your mind, and your journey. So think about what resonates with you and leave the rest behind. I'll see you next week.